Uh, so uh, I, I really have some bad news that um, I really have to share with you this morning, and some of you are going to be upset with me, and um, don't stone me because uh, I hate to tell you, but those holidays where all of those really bad parties start running together between Christmas and New Year's is coming quickly. I know, I know we don't want to really think about it, but it's coming. It'll be here real quick. Like in the blink of an eye, it'll be here. And I hate those times of the year. Now, now I'm not a Grinch, so please, I'm not, you know, an Ebenezer Scrooge or anything. I just hate them because there are so many parties that are going on during that time of the year. It's like since, you know, when we finish with Thanksgiving, it is just a continuous blur all the way till after the new year. And it's just party after party after party. Now, I enjoy parties, so don't get me wrong. Some of you are like, well, he's off my list for this year. Uh, so no, I'm, not, no, I'm not saying that. No, you know, hear me out. Hear me out. But the reason I loathe parties is because of food. I mean, it is like a smorgasbord of country buffet and every possible buffet possible that just continuously runs from Thanksgiving all the way to the new year. And the problem with me is, is food always equals struggle. I know you're laughing, but, and then struggle always equals exercise. And I'm going to be honest, I am not a fan of exercise. I'm not a fan of exerting my body more than what it takes, but I have to do it. But see, not only does food equals struggle for me and struggle equals exercise, but exercise equals work. And that's extra work that I just don't want to do. And that extra work also involves detox. Detoxing my body from everything that my body is trying to get rid of that is fighting against. See, uh, when we work out, when we are trying to get physically fit, there are these moments where our bodies just tell us, they scream out loud at us and they're like, I need to detox. You know, you got to get this out of my system. Okay, how many times have you, how many times have you, uh, I know that, that gives me the shivers inside actually, um, but how many times have you, you know, gone on a candy binge or gone on an ice cream binge or, you know, go on a hamburger binge and within hours to later in that evening, you're like, oh, you know, and you think that you're going to die. Your body is telling you that something is going on in there that just shouldn't be there and it needs to detox. Well, in the same manner, spiritually, there are times, there are seasons in our lives that, that we need to spiritually detox. There are things that are built up within us emotionally and mentally and spiritually that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and he's screaming inside of us saying, you need to detox. You need to get what is in you out of you because it's not meant to be there. It's affecting you and it needs to be dealt with. Over the past few weeks, We've been studying in the book of James. We have been toning. We have been ripping and shredding and stretching. We've been building up and we've been tearing down all of these uh, areas and portions of scripture uh, about what James has been saying to us spiritually. We've been trimming that spiritual fat that has just been hanging around a little too long in our lives. But today, uh, in the midst of that, it's really, if you look at it, it's been a slow detox from beginning till, till now. But today, we're actually going to examine a portion of scripture that contains some serious amount of depth. Now, I'm not saying that all the previous scriptures 
haven't contained a lot of depth or anything like that. So I'm not discrediting. But today we have a portion of scripture that's going to go a little bit deeper uh, to gain some better understanding and some better clarity. Sometimes it's like when you go to the gym, you know, when I used to work out uh, at the gym and I really used to be into weightlifting, it's funny how we think we know what we're doing sometimes. So we go over to the barbells, you know, and you slap on all that weight and then you pick up the barbell and you're like this, and this is how you curl. All right. Well, that's incorrect posture. All I'm doing is giving myself a really bad back, but I have to stand straight and pick up and I have to use all my arm strength. Well, in the same manner, when we read the scriptures, sometimes we just blow through it. We think we know what we're doing and we overlook all these important things. So this morning, I'm going to try and really slow some stuff down for us. And I'm going to really try to do my best to be your spiritual personal trainer this morning and uh, stretch you a little bit spiritually. Now, we know that this uh, setting of this portion of scripture is actually written to a grouping of Jews that are uh, actually in the Mediterranean area that James is addressing at this time. We specifically know that they're under a lot of persecution. They're under a lot of suffering because James blatantly says it in his letters to these Jews. And it's a letter of encouragement to remain faithful in their suffering. And that word suffering a lot of times is translated as irritability or weakness or even a loss of hope. And I can't even begin to fathom uh, really what persecution is like being a Christian. Uh, You know, sometimes it's funny how our mindsets work that if we're in the marketplace and we hear somebody swear in the cubicle next to us, we get all huffy and puffy because we're being persecuted as a Christian. Um, Well, church, I'm sorry to say we really don't have a clue as to what persecution is yet. So... This is very interesting, but James gives us some insight here. What I really appreciate is this last week when Pastor Jack was preaching, he he gave us this insight to our circumstances, to our trials, to what we call our tribulations. It was really great and really refreshing when he he said, he goes, now listen, he goes, and I'm not quoting verbatim, so please bear with me. And and I encourage you to go back and really listen to the sermon that he preached last week. But but he says, listen, he goes, I'm not saying that, that God... Uh, creates all of these circumstances that are bad in our lives. But what we do know is that God will sometimes use those circumstances as tools to get us to move spiritually to where we need to be. How refreshing is that? But yet at the same time, that's something we just don't want to hear. (laughs) But it's amazing that what God does and how he uses those things. And that's where it leads me to today. I want to encourage us that every circumstance is an invitation to pray. Every circumstance, not just some, but every circumstance is an invitation to pray. It's funny, the more that I follow Jesus, the more I strive to journey with him, I realize how ridiculous, how ridiculous my flesh really is. You know, and I, what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example of anger, you know, in my life. Like when I get mad over a situation, when I get upset over something that's going on in my personal life or something that's going on in a context of work or whatever it may be, my immediate response flows out of my flesh. And immediately I get emotional. I get irritated. I get snappy. (laughs) And and I get real sassy. And, And that's my immediate response. And I sit back and I'm like, Man, I am ridiculous as a Christ follower because that's not what God's intention is. In fact, 
my first primary motivation, my first primary goal, my first primary movement should actually be to stop and pray. Think about yourself for a minute. When you get irritated or upset or when you have a problem that is reported to you, something that the doctor said this week at the office, something that your boss said to you, maybe something that your spouse said a couple days ago. What was your response? What was your automatic motivation in that moment? What was the first thing that came to mind? Did you stop? And did you pray? Or did you react? Even though prayer is so simple, it's a game changer for Christ followers. A lot of times, uh, you know, we, we think we're like, we hear the word prayer, you know, and we're like, oh yeah, read a book on that. I'm good. You know, I, I know how to pray. But, but there's so much more to understanding the power of prayer. I appreciate what Ishmael and Alexis said a few minutes ago when they were up here as they were talking about they believe in the power of prayer. Two young adults that believe in the power of prayer. You know, they could have just simply said, yeah, we pray, so just, just pray for us. But they, but they extended, they understand. And for us as Christ followers, when we commit ourselves to praying for our circumstances or our situations, things will change. We may not see things happen immediately. We may not see things change the way we want them to or we're expecting them to, but things will change because prayer is a game changer. And what would happen if we begin to embrace every circumstance as an invitation from God for us to pray? In these few verses that we're about to look at at James, he gives us this uh, refreshing and encouraging look at prayer. So I'm going to ask you to join with me in James chapter 5. Uh, it's there on your outline and on the screen, or you can open up your Bible. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13 this morning. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Now, what I, I want to pause here a moment. I, I had this epiphany when I was preparing this message, um, and I want to prepare you for where I'm going this morning, but verses 13 through 18 is all about prayer this morning. So now please don't tune out because I said the P word, okay? You know, some of you are like, oh, prayer. Like, I was kind of like hoping for like something like healing or, or you know, suffering or, or you know, uh, you know. But, but listen, we're, we're really going to go somewhere. We're very important and powerful with this. So verses 13 through 18 is all about the power of prayer. It's so direct, so simple, yet it's so easy to lose sight of. We've created timed routines for our prayer life, instead of actually setting our schedules with the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. How many times have we set our own timed routines of prayer and not set our clocks according to the Holy Spirit? A lot of times for those of us who are Christ followers, maybe those who are just starting to know Jesus, we call those our devotional times. That's my devotional time. Now, I'm not knocking that, okay? I mean, that's our cool little Christianese word that we piled on there and all that. But what I'm saying, though, is, is when was the last time that you got up in the morning and you just simply sat in the presence of God without your prayer list and you just simply said, okay, God, okay, Holy Spirit, 
okay, Jesus, here I am. What do you want to talk about? What are you going to do today? What are you going to do at GE? What are you going to do at Firebirds today when I'm on my shift? What are you going to do, God, this year on my campus at college? When was the last time that you did that? When was the last time that you set your clock to the Holy Spirit? Because there's a reason for this. There's there's a reason why James unfolds this out through the scripture, and here's why. The first thing that he says to us when he's writing in verse 13, he asks this question, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you abused, exhausted, frustrated, persecuted, spiritually weak, broken, bruised, hurt, or wounded? Then pray. Then pray. He doesn't tell us like, get angry, get mad, get sad, get depressed. He doesn't say anything like that. He says to pray. And then he goes on to say that it's simple, but yet it's profound. It's amazing that as Christ's followers, if you were to ask people, when you think of a Christian, pushing aside all the negativity that people will sometimes say, but if you say to them, when you think of somebody who's a Christ follower or a Christian, what automatically comes to mind? Probably a lot of times you hear two things. Well, I think of people who read the Bible and I think of people who pray. I asked a couple of my friends, hey, when you think of a Christ follower, what do you think? First thing out of their mouth, you pray. Okay, so this is what we've been identified, that we pray. But a lot of times it's amazing how little or minimal this is so evident in our lives. And James tells us that when we're suffering, when we're weak, when we're abused and we're abandoned, that our automatic response is to go to a place of prayer. It's kind of like this. You ever tell somebody that you work out, but you like make it to the gym once a week? Or like, yeah, man, oh yeah, like I hit it hard this week. Woo, you know, and, and then like you go back like three weeks later. You're like, oh, and you get into that conversation, you hear people talking at the, you know, at the water cooler and they're like, oh yeah, man, I really hit it hard this morning, ran like five miles. You're like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, oh, I know what it's like. I mean, to burn, you know, like totally, totally no. I mean, like aching, you know, just really working those muscles. Yeah, I feel so good. And you really haven't been there in like four days. And you really have no plan on going back in at least two weeks. <laughs> Same thing like when pray. When people come to us and they're like, hey, I'm suffering. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I feel abandoned. Hey, uh, I, I feel emotionally abused, mentally abused. Uh, I feel like I'm just so overwhelmed right now. Can you pray for me? Oh yeah, don't worry. I will pray for you because I pray. And like we pray once in a great while. We really can't tell people we work out if we're not working out. And we really can't tell people that we pray if we're not really praying. Prayer is about listening to God and reading his word. It's about opening up the Bible and planning ourselves in the word. And, and I want to I make this clarification. You know, when, when, we stay, when we stand up here and we say to read your Bible, it's not this thing that we're telling you to do because you're a Christ follower. You just read your Bible because you love Jesus. Or you're supposed to pray because you're supposed to pray. That's not the case. 
the reason we pray and the reason we encourage you to get into the word is to get closer to God and to get to know who he is, to get to know his character, to get to know what he has for us. And that's the reason why I'm encouraging us to open up the word of God and plan ourselves there and begin to make a routine of spending time with him and listening to what he has to say. You know, something I discovered is how can we really pray for somebody or ourselves if we don't know what God's doing in heaven for us or them? When I read the scripture in John 5, 19, I was totally blown away and this totally changed my perspective on the way that I pray. In John 5, 19, it says this, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in a like manner. Like when I read that, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, he himself is walking on earth, but we see in scripture that everything he is doing He goes back and references and says, look, I'm only doing it because of what I saw and what I've heard in heaven. Some of you will get that in a minute. Man, what if if when people ask us to pray for them, what what if instead of just shooting out a prayer at random, what, what if we just like stopped? And what if we listened and what if we took time to look and say, God, what what is it that you're saying about this individual and their situation in heaven? What is going on at the round table between you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit at this time about them? What is it when you, God, God, when you hear their name in heaven, what, what do you say? And what if we bring that down here and begin to pray and declare that? What would begin to happen? When we're still and we listen, heaven opens and we hear God speak into our situation. I'll give you this kind of funny example. (laughs) When I lived in New Jersey with my wife, (laughs) I had a lot of crazy encounters out. And I'm not talking like, you know, like being held up with a gun or something. I'm talking about really crazy spiritual encounters. This is a true story, what I'm about to tell you. There were times in the evenings where God would just call me and say, let's go pray, let's go meet. Not like on the phone, just FYI. You're like, God called him? Like, huh? Like God would just, I, I would be sleeping and the Lord would wake me up and he would call me like, you know, let's go pray. So I would go out in the living room in our little, you know, one bedroom apartment and I would, I would shut the bedroom door and I'd go out and I'd just sit and I would just pray. But I would sit and I would just listen and I would close my eyes and I would wait for God to say something to me because there was a reason that he was calling for me. So this one night, I got up and I do my normal routine and I go out and I get my favorite chair. We all have those favorite chairs or that favorite spot. And I found that favorite chair and I sat down. Now, for the sake of using names, even though you wouldn't know this person, I'm going to call this, this guy's name, I'm going to call his name Nick, okay? As I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I see Nick in a room with another girl. And he was actually my youth leader at the time. And I see him in a room with another girl, and they were about to engage in some ungodly activity. 
And all of a sudden I hear the Lord say, call Nick now. I was like, 1230 at night. So like, you know, I dismiss it. And I just keep praying. And all of a sudden, again, the Lord says to me, call Nick now. So I pick up my phone and I call Nick and he answers. Hey, Pastor Jay, what's going on? What's happening? I'm like, hey, I want you to answer yes or no to my question. Okay, okay, okay. What's up? What's up? Are you alone with a girl right now and you're about to engage in some ungodly activity? Um, uh, and it wasn't the phone reception. I mean, I, uh, what? Like, answer me yes or no. I'll call you back in five minutes. Okay, I will be watching the clock. Five minutes on the dot, he calls me back. I said, what are you doing? Oh, Pastor Jay, pass, I mean, uh, what? Yeah, I was, I was. And I said, God wants you to know you need to stop what you're doing right now. A couple days later, he shows up in my office, all flustered, asked me if I was human. I said, yes, I'm very human. Now, if I call you, you better answer your phone. Just messing with you. It's a true story, though, but what would happen if, if we just allowed God to speak into our situations? And then we begin to realize that there are these moments in our lives that seem harder than the others. There are these moments where what we, we have tried, we've exhausted ourselves in prayer, we have prayed and we prayed and we prayed, we don't see breakthrough. We just don't feel that God is moving in our situations. We find ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally weak. We find ourselves feeble, even feeling incompetent in some of our circumstances that we're facing. So what do we do when those circumstances are too heavy for us to lift on our own? James tells us that we're to seek counsel from leadership. I want to pause here a moment. I know that for some of us in this place, when you hear the word leadership, see it even written on a screen, that something twists inside of you, maybe because of past circumstances, maybe trust issues, maybe you know somebody that, that is in leadership that burned you, uh, whatever it may be. But I, I'm asking just for this moment of grace uh, as a leader, but also as just a human being, that as I communicate this with you in this next few moments, that, that we'll, we'll just be open to this and have some understanding in that if we have any offense towards leaders, that we'll be able to let that guard down and just let the Holy Spirit speak, if we can do that. But a lot of times, the Bible tells us to seek out leadership, and there's a reason for that. And in these circumstances in our lives, it becomes so heavy for us that we've tried in our own strength, and then we surrender over to the Lord, and we're like, okay, God, I got the point. You and I can work on this. But then we come to that point where when we and God are working on it, we're just still hitting a wall. James tells us to go and seek the counsel of leadership. In James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, here's what he says. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. 
It was a very interesting passage. And there's a lot that is crammed into these two verses that James puts. First of all, James starts it out like this. He says, hey, are you sick? Are you dealing with something? And it's very interesting here because that word sick in the Greek is called komno. And it actually means to be weary. It doesn't reference to be physically ill. It's actually a reference to being emotionally and mentally and spiritually weary. And James breaks in, he says, okay, so are you emotionally, mentally, and, and spiritually exhausted and worn out? Then here's what I tell you to do. Because the reason we seek counsel from leadership is because we're seeking wholeness. Rhetorical question, don't raise your hands. How many of you are on the journey to seeking wholeness right now? How many of you are desiring to be at that place of peace and wholeness in your life right now? It's a wholeness that we seek that needs divine discernment. It's a wholeness that we need that needs insight and prophetic counsel of those that are seasoned in these areas. That is why James says, if you are sick, if you are spiritually weak, if you are weary and worn out, go and seek the counsel, seek the divine discernment, seek the godly wisdom of those who are in authority. Prayer is a lifestyle. And what James says to us is he says, we don't go to the spiritually strong to receive worldly insight and counsel. We go to be spiritually strengthened, to be filled up by the power of God working through them. See, on leadership, God places a mantle. And I, and I, I can't explain it to a fullness. But when we see in scripture that when, when the priests would take the anointing oil and they would pour it over, or the prophets would pour it over somebody who is about to be king, it says that the oil runs down. Over. It wasn't like this little lick them and stick them dot, you know, of like oil that they put on their forehead and they all get excited and sing some songs. This was an important ceremony because their life was about to change. There was extreme intense responsibility that was about to be laid upon these men and women. And so they would take this horn of oil and they would pour it out, all of it, all over. And they would start at the head and they would just let it ooze and drip and pour down over everything their face, their hair, their garments, all the way to their feet. And it was a symbolic, it was a symbolic declaration that the authority and the anointing, the right gift things, the right authority has been now placed on that individual. And with that authority and with that anointing comes now great responsibility, but not only great responsibility, but great giftings and understanding and discernment for specific areas of that moment. That is why James comes to us and he says, when you are so overwhelmed 
and you have done everything you can and you've exhausted yourself in prayer and you're not seeking breakthrough, then go and seek the counsel of those who are in authority. Elders carry this divine grace that they can move in and flow through them when in need. Now, I know what you're saying, and we're going to pause here for a moment. I'm sure there's some of you in your brains right now, or maybe under your breath, or maybe, you know, you're nudging that person that walks close with you and journeys with you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Jay, I hear you. You know, the, the whole elder thing, the whole leadership, the whole coming under, you know, the covering of authority. Only if you knew. What if my leadership's a bum? What if my authority has offended me? What, what if my authority has issues in their lives? I don't want them touching me. I don't want them laying hands on me. I don't want them praying for me. Again, I'm going to go back to Scripture. First of all, we are human. Now, that's not my excuse, but we're human, number one. Number two, God has put an authority and anointing on those who are in that position. Number three, God is the just one. God has the final say. God will deal with leadership accordingly. But Pastor Jay, no, wait, you don't understand. Time out, stop the train. I understand God is just. I believe he'll take care of my problems. He's taking care of my problems, but I haven't seen anything done. Maybe it's not for you to see. Maybe you need to step back and pray for those in authority like God tells us. And pray that God will justly and rightly deal with those in authority as he needs to deal with accordingly. Please understand I'm not making an excuse to like get out from being run over on the bus. I'm not making an excuse for any authority to say that we're above others and that we can't, you know, and so on and so forth. What I'm saying is, is there is a biblical process. And it's when we veer from that biblical process that chaos and confusion is created and the body of Christ gets more hurt and more wounded than what we really intended for. But we must understand that when we're seeking out wholeness, we can also see that restoration is the goal. Prayer in this type of wholeness is a ministry of restoration. That's what the the positioning of elders, those who are in charge, pastors, prophets, pastors, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and apostles, those are elders in the body of Christ. They are there to bring restoration to the body. And we must realize that we just can't throw a Band-Aid over our wounds. In James chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That word confess there 
means to acknowledge openly and joyfully. Everyone smile. Yeah, that's right. Openly and joyfully, right? And, and so James is like, hey, you have an issue in your life or you're struggling with some things or whatever that may be. And, and if you have sin, then go and confess it. If you have sin, go and openly and joyfully confess it. So now some of you, before you slide under the pew, relax. He's not talking about like publicly, okay? What he's talking about is, is he says, go to those that you trust. Go to those openly and joyfully and confess your sin that you are dealing with. Because there will be a healing. That wholeness that we're seeking, that restoration that we're seeking, that'll be a healing. It's so hard for us, isn't it? I'm speaking to you not as a pastor, as, as, as a leader, I'm speaking to you as a human being. Isn't it hard for us? Isn't it hard to, for us to, to openly and, and joyfully confess that we have some issues in our lives that we're dealing with and, and maybe we do have some wounds and maybe they're deep. And how many times we're so overridden with shame because of what we've been through and so, so much guilt and, and that we really don't. And it's not a joyful process and it's not an open process. In fact, in fact, when you meet with that person on Monday morning for breakfast, because you know you got to confess to them something, you're dreading it on Sunday night. And you walk into Bob Evans like this, and the hostess is like, good morning, how you doing? You're like, great, fantastic. And you sit down and you just wait, and you watch your watch until that person comes in. Scripture tells us there are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if, now hear me out, you're going to think I got three heads in a moment. What if we got excited? What if we got pumped up? What if we got joyful about openly confessing our sins to each other in those moments because not of what we're about to confess, but because about what we're about to receive in the end. This amazing healing of wholeness and restoration that we have been yearning for. What would happen if, if we just changed our view on that? Man, we'd walk around a lot differently, wouldn't we? Man, I gotta admit to you, sometimes I'm the most depressive, ungodly example of a Christian on the face of the earth, I feel like. And I wanna look at people and be like, don't follow me, because I ain't following Christ. Don't bother me right now. Don't talk to me about Jesus because I'm enjoying my pity party over here. Don't mess up my pity party that I'm dealing with my shame and my guilt. I like being depressed in the corner. And we meet people, you know, like, hey, how you doing? By the way, I'll pray for you. What, what, what if we just got up out of that and we were like, man, I'm so excited to meet with my accountability partner this week. I gotta get some things off my chest because I'm gonna be healed. I'm gonna be whole. I'm gonna be restored. So we call this accountability. And accountability is for the goal of restoration. You know, let me, let me explain this. If, if, if you don't have somebody in your life, guys, if you don't have a man in your life, ladies, if you don't have a, a lady or a woman in your life 
that you meet with on a regular basis, that you, you can go to and hold in confidence, that you can tell your struggles to and what you're dealing with, that will pray for you, that will ask you hard questions, that will press you and push you more towards Jesus. You're missing out on restoration and wholeness and healing that God has intended for you. And we walk around so wounded, so heavy. And sometimes we can't worship God on Sundays because we come in like this with our arms full and we so badly want to raise our hand, but we can't because we're so overwhelmed and so full of wounds. And it's like, we just yearn for restoration when all we got to do is, is go and confess it and open it up. And then we can do this. Now we see how James unfolds this passage line by line. And he tells us that once we start praying and and once we get over our pride or our shame or our guilt and we go and we seek out the counsel of those in authority and then we allow wholeness to develop and restoration, we're ready to live a resurrected life. That's the crux of James's letter here. We have reached this point, the crux, the built up, the intensity of James' letter when he tells us and says, listen, guys, here's this simple order. If you would just follow this, I guarantee you, you will live a resurrected life. You'll be healed. You'll be restored. You'll be equipped to live out this resurrected, this resurrected life. That's what it means to be cross-fit. We're not talking about a little exercise routine. We're not talking about being CrossFit and doing that routine on the internet. What we're talking about is being CrossFit, ready, whole, restored, ready to carry out the power and authority of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives. That's what it means to be CrossFit. It's funny, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Man, there are days, there are days that my hands are too full, too full of wounds and guilt and shame. I leave my cross back there. And Jesus in his love and his grace comes along and he just clears all the clutter out, just like he did with Peter. And he looks at us and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And we go back and he helps me lift up my cross and I start to carry it. But isn't that all of our stories? None of us are exempt. We all have them. We all have a cross. And Jesus yearns to restore all of us. Look with me in James 5, 17 and 18 as we we bring this to a close. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Underline that, nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray right now against the snow. I knew I'd get some agreement. (laughs) You know, 
when we read this passage, it's so easy to think two things. One, we get excited because we can be a superhero spiritual Christian. Or two, we look at this and we're like, I don't got a chance. But you know what changes all that when James wrote this? A nature like ours. Take your hand and go like this. Put your finger up. This one. Pay attention. Yeah, this one. (laughs) Go like this. Repeat after me. Like ours. Yeah. Elijah. Elijah. The one who slayed all the prophets of Jezebel in the book of Kings the one who heard from God, the one who was used to do all of these amazing and miraculous things, nature like ours. We get a little glimpse of that when we see him, when he gets threatened by Jezebel, this queen, says that he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran and he hid in a cave. Mighty prophet runs into a cave, doesn't want to come out. And he tells God, God, I'm the only one left. God says, are you kidding me, man? (laughs) Wake up, dude. Like, what kind of cakes have you been eating? I have so many on reserve. And and I I say this to encourage us that, yes, guys, there's going to be these days that every single one of us, we want to run and hide in the cave. We want to give up. But James tells us, that we have a nature just like him. There will be days that we do great and mighty things in the name of the Lord and God will use us. And there will be those days that we want to run and hide in a cave. But what will we do with it? Will we pray? Will we seek the counsel of those who are in authority? Will we see that restoration and wholeness? Will we really live a CrossFit life? Elijah was a man who lived in right standing with God. He did his best. Obedience. Did his best. He tried to live a holy life. He strived to live a life of righteousness. All these things that each one of us can do. We can all strive to live a life of holiness and strive to live a life of of righteousness, of right living. But here's the thing. He was also in alignment with what God wanted to do. I totally believe this scripture that he prayed and for three years and six months didn't rain. That would be awesome. But it wasn't just for the sake of not, you know, showing up. Hey, I don't feel like rain. All right, great. Sunshine all around. That wasn't the case. There was a reason why Elijah did that. And I'm going to encourage you to go to the scriptures and find out why. But let me be clear with this. We have the capability of doing these same things with a like nature because he was like us and we can be used of God to live this powerful and resurrected life if we align ourselves with what God is doing. If we listen in prayer and see what our Father in heaven is doing and we desire that restoration and that wholeness and we seek the counsel of those around us because alignment with God equals power and it creates within us a resurrected life that the world is longing to encounter through us. 
Would you stand with me? So I've presented you with a healthy plan for spiritual living. May take you 30 days, 10 days, 30 minutes a day, whatever. I've given you the goods to get spiritually fit for the kingdom of God. I encourage you that if you are struggling in any of these areas that we talked about, come seek us out, please. And let God restore you. Let, let him give you that wholeness back that your spirit is hungering for. So you can live that resurrected life. Now that I've given you this healthy spiritual plan to live, the question is, what will you do with it? What will you do with it? Because no one can make you do anything except yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power of prayer. Father, we thank you, God, that you lay it out to us, God, in such a simple manner. And sometimes, God, we just complicate things. But I pray that you would just strip away all the complexities in our lives. And Father, help us just to to live in a simple manner for you in what you have instructed us through these scriptures. Father, I really pray for wholeness and restoration among us. I pray that a life of prayer would abound more than what we have ever encountered before. Lord, if there are grudges that we hold in our hearts towards leaders, may we pursue those healing wounds in the name of Jesus. And Father, may we really live a resurrected life that when people look at us, they want what we have and not run the other way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Enjoy your day.